Wiseacre, which was just released today. I'm your host, Michael Shields, and welcome to another episode of Across the Margin, the podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com to check out all their amazing and eclectic podcast offerings. They have a new one called Comes a Time, which is excellent. It's hosted by Otil Burbridge of Dead & Company and Almond Brothers fame and also by comedian Mike Fenoya, who hosts the Amigos podcast. And also, I co-host the Still Chasing podcast with them. They offer up uh, a bevy fascinating, important conversations with outstanding guests, such as Bob Weir, Melvin Seals, and more. Check that and many other great podcasts over at OsirisPod.com. The aforementioned Eric Slick is a guest on the program here today. And we had an excellent conversation, I'm sure you will enjoy. Eric is most known for being the drummer of the excellent rock band Dr. Dog, but his solo albums he has released over the last five years have been outstanding, and uh, Wiseacre is no different. The album is deeply personal to Eric, as you will hear us discuss, where throughout it he focuses on self-acceptance and grappling with insecurities as he grows into his new life with his wife Natalie Press, an incredibly talented musician herself. Before we dive into that conversation, here's another taste of Wiseacre's diverse and captivating offerings, one of my favorites from the album. It's entitled Haunted. In our discussion, we explore the deeper meanings behind a bunch of the songs in the album. We discuss the wild video for the track Closer to Heaven. He tells me how it was working with Grammy award-winning producer Jeremy Ferguson and a whole lot more. And so, here is my interview with Eric Slick. Across the margin. 
How you doing? Yeah, oh man, you know, just waking up. It's it's, it's been a crazy week because this is like the first time I've had a session, yeah. a recording session in a really long time. And I traveled all the way to Philly, and then I traveled to Virginia. So, and then I'm now I'm back in Nashville. So that was like a pretty epic little loop. Can I uh, ask who you were? Who you who were you recording with? That's top secret information. You got it. I'll keep it that way. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'm glad it must have felt good to uh, get out there and play some music. Oh man, I was just uh, talking to my wife about it, and uh, I was just like, the adrenaline rush of uh-huh. being in the studio and working on songs. Like, <sighs> I I really really miss it because I mean I, I haven't done it in so long. It's been yeah. since the beginning of March, and you it just felt the like. Yeah, and it, and it felt like I was on a different planet. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is the, this is the Earth where like you can record and make music and have a good time." And then I'm like, now that I'm back home, I'm like, oh, "I mean, man. I'm happy to be home. I'm happy to be home of and course. like all the creature com- creature conference and yep. everything." But like, but like now I'm just like, "Oh yeah, all right. Who knows when that next session is going to be?" <laughs> well, you, now you know it's. Um, I think it's possible to get out there and do it, and I think people are doing things in safer ways and finding ways to interact or, or, or record or, or do projects together that are safe. I mean, obviously we can't just jump back into what we've been doing, but there are ways to um, make some of this happen, you know? Absolutely. And um, we did it in a very safe way. Like we all were very diligent about our masks and Love sanitizing. It. And if like one of us went out, you know, like we had to make sure that we kept our masks on the whole time. Yeah. And honestly, uh, none of us, None of us have been exhibiting uh, any symptoms mm-hmm. or sickness, so I, I think we're okay. I think we're in the clear. Nice. That must be <laughs> awesome. And it's, I mean, it's a, not only did you have that, it's a big week for you with the um, release of the album. Congrats. Um, this is, this is uh, I, I love it, man. It's, it's uh, you know, I, you gave it to me a while ago, so I've been living with these songs for a minute, but um, they're really great. Congrats. Thanks, man. I'm so excited. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time coming. I was kind of worried it was going to become like my Guns N' Roses, like, <laughs> Like I was worried this was going to become like my Chinese democracy, and like twenty years from now, twenty years from now, I'm like all haggard, and I like put it out on like light in the attic or something, and I have like a huge beard, and like I live in like a pile of beer cans. We can <laughs> all end up like, like that at this point. But yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, but I mean, you've been this is this is a been a long time coming if i'm right these songs you started writing some of these songs in 2018 and all the way through yep. now because there's i mean there's is some of this written during um covet 19 there's a song that's explicitly um titled quarantine is this i know you started in 2018 I, but where does that come from that song was written in 2018 which is crazy <laughs> because shit. because which is crazy because the record was done september of 2019 mm-hmm. uh and i sat on it for a while. I was shopping it around the labels. I was just kind of like sitting and waiting to see if anything was going to happen with yep. it. And um, as soon as COVID hit and I was like, I, was, I said to myself, I was like, oh shit, I wrote a song called Quarantine. <laughs> this is like, and also quarantine is not a word that I use yeah. ever in my day-to-day life. <laughs> yeah. Like prior to March, I maybe used the word quarantine once to talk about like back in the day. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I probably... You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. talked about like polio or something. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Or like E.T., when E.T. is in quarantine. That's true. With the big suits. That's where, the, that's where I first remember those big hazmat suits, was the E.T. view. That's true. That's true. It's funny. I just um, recently I interviewed um, uh, an artist. She goes by uh, Delanila, and she put out an album, and it's all about isolation and about being at home. And she wrote it last year, and nobody, everyone who writes articles about it or talks about the thing just assume she wrote it recently and it's i think people are going to do the same for uh this quarantine track but i know i know i know it, it, it's so funny and the song really has nothing to do with, with uh covid but i say quarantine my life away and i'm like oh man that that, that was eerily predictive you know our yeah. uh, life imitating art or whatever you want to say, totally. call it you know it's you saw it coming you should have told us um but this album um it's obvious that it's very personal to you, and, and I think we'll touch on why. But I mean, the the name of the album comes from um, where you and your uh, wife got married, and and I saw you dedicated it to her. So this is a very personal uh, personal album. Am, am I right about that? You're extremely right about that. Yeah, I mean, m- most of the things that I've ever written, you know, they I have a daily meditation practice and I think I used to write from a very abstract point of view mm-hmm. and with this record like the hardest part about it was making the choice to, to not do that and be like I'm going to write each song about specific things that happened or like very personal things and it could be a little scary at first but honestly I think it's a good it was a good way to go with it and yeah. um, you know uh, What's really funny is that the album title is Wiseacre. That's the place where we got married mm-hmm. in Virginia. It's, it's, it's the name of the, um, it's, a, it's like an old house, like a mid-century house. It's oh, wow. gorgeous. It looks like, where, where looks like straight uh, Norfolk. Okay. Yep. Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Yep, uh, 757. Uh, yeah. The 757, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, um, that's where this uh, beautiful spot is. It almost mm-hmm. looks like it's out of Mad, Mad Men or something. Um, yeah. But uh, what was really funny is that, you know, I had no idea what a wiseacre meant. Like, I didn't know that it was like a, a like a court jester or like, you know, basically a class clown, like a wisecracker. Yeah, like, I, I heard what I heard. Which I, I just learned right now. Now I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, what was really funny is that, like, I was talking about it with everybody at my management uh-huh. company. I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, the title is cool. It's like, uh, you know, it's kind of like wise guy. And they're like, yeah, that's what it means. And I was like, <laughs> so people know. I was like, so pe- this is out I started, there. Uh, so I just started, la- I started laughing hysterically. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, my God, that is. <laughs> I, I unintentionally named it like I mean I'm a totally a class clown. I mean oh. everyone in my high, everyone in my high school can attest to that. Yeah. So. Um, I just thought it was uh, yeah, kind of that's great. It's got, well, it's got double meanings in that way. And well, another thing I saw you mention about it is how, and you just kind of alluded to how that wiseacre works with the, your personality as a class clown. But you you mentioned that um, this is the first time on any album that this is um, your personality has truly been captured on tape. And and I was just curious how so. Well, yeah, uh, you know, uh, leading up to the record and the composition of the record, I made a conscious choice to like make Spotify playlists, you know, and really think about like, what are all the things that I like about records? Mm-hmm. What are all the things that I like about music? Because before it's like, I would just write, you know, put chords together and see how they work. And I was learning how to write songs. So it's like, you're learning how to make these structures out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 
hopefully as you make more and more records, you grow and grow and grow. And with this one, I was like, it'd be really great to actually make a record that I would want to listen to. Right. So I have a, uh, a colorful personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to wear I like to wear a lot of color in my day to day life, and yeah. like none of my previous records really uh, represent that yeah. or really showcase that. So with this one, I was trying to, you know, um, have it be colorful and also have the music match that, mm-hmm. so that the music didn't didn't feel like a black and white picture. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean by that personality shining through, and also just like. You know, the lyrics are kind of self-deprecating, mm-hmm. but they're also kind of funny, but they're also, like, sad, but they're also serious. And, I, you know, I, I wanted to make it, like, a multi-tiered experience. Like, I didn't want it to just be, like, a sad record or an angry record. I, I had already kind of done that before. Yeah. Yeah. More more bro- brooding records and more dark records. And um, I think it was just time to do that and move on. Yeah. Absolutely. I just saw, I just read a great article that you wrote um, on um, No uh, Contact uh, Magazine. The, nope. um, it, yeah. Is that what it is called? No Contact? That's it great about, you know, choosing to release it um, yourself and independently. But uh, uh, one of the things, and everyone should check out that article, really, really great. Um, but uh, did you, did I read correctly? You wrote 70 songs for this album? I did. <laughs> uh, so I, I went through this intense process of like, the only way I'm going to get better at songwriting is if I just continuously write songs. And so I etched out all these like little resonances throughout 2018 and 2019 where like I, the first writing session I went to Woodstock and tried mm-hmm. to write as many songs as possible. And then I did one at um, Space Bomb Studios in Richmond and blocked out a week and just kind of forced myself to write. And then um, at the beginning of 2019, I was on tour with Natalie and, I decided to write a song a day in the band. And obviously that I, you know, it's not a complete song, but like, I was like, I'm going to write like as much of a song as I can on the van ride from like point A to point B. And, uh, that process, you know, we were on tour for like 30 days and I got about 30 songs done and two of which actually did end up on the record. Uh, the song someday and mm-hmm. the uh, and closer to heaven were both written on that tour oh, wow. melody chord structure everything uh, you know pretty much everything the lyrics to someday and the lyrics to closer to heaven came a little bit later but like everything else was fleshed out structurally that's crazy. um that's so cool it was it, it was very crazy and it, it was fun to wake up every day and like have a cup of coffee and sit in the van with a laptop and be like all right what chord am i going to start with today what's the chord you know because like that's always the question like what do I start how do I start a song you know yeah. is it, am I starting am I starting from a place of like um, an emotion or am I starting from just like a That's texture sad. that I like yep. and and so it was fun to start from this place of like I'm I you know I had the uh, finale software so it's like I'm doing it all in notation I'm like let me see what this chord sounds like. And it would just be like, plonk. <laughs> or, or, or I'd be like, oh, that's a really cool chord. I mean, that could be a great way to start a song about blah, blah, blah. Yep. What, you know, uh, so. I love it. It's um, experience. And also you're um, kind of putting that whole Malcolm Gladwell thing to what, the 10,000 hours things. I mean, you're writing all these songs and you're bound to get better or come upon things that really work for you, too. Totally. And Gladwell. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I kind of live and die by the Gladwellian thing of yeah. like, yeah, the 10,000 10, hours. Yeah, put I in mean, the work. I, I, yeah. And I wouldn't have gotten to where I'm at drum wise had I not put in those 10,000 hours, but I didn't even realize I was doing that when I was growing up. Like <laughs> I, I, I just saw it as like, well, 
the only thing that really interests me is drumming. So I'm going to sit going to sit in my parents' living room and like take apart this police record for four hours or something. But you don't realize how much that accrues over time and how that actually does equal up to, you know, a, a pretty massive amount of your life of just course. spent in spent like with your instrument trying to figure out how to express yourself through it. Yeah. So um yeah, that's a that's for sure. And and also like being surrounded by uh, uh, such great songwriters all the time, like my wife yep. and the guys in Doctor Dog, and mm-hmm. like everybody that I've ever played with, I, I feel really lucky that I've been able to work with like prolific songwriters and also really talented songwriters. Um, and I've kind of learned by watching them, you know, what to do and what not to do. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, that I, what not to do is more in the case of like when I'm just doing sessions, not necessarily like the people I actually work with all the time, but like every once in a while I'll be in a session with a songwriter and you can see the immense anxiety and stress that they put on themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, but that's like, that's something that I should, that I definitely should not do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learn, um, learning from people's um, positives and also their negatives right there. That's, that's true. Um, we mentioned Natalie a couple of times already as kind of, uh, um, you know, in, in the album's title and just kind of the inspiration there. But, um, she's a singer, song singer, songwriter as well. Um, I love her album, the, uh, future and the past. I know I'm not alone in saying that, um, what is it? Short court style. That's kind of my jam. I love that. A lot of, a lot yeah. of that's so good. A lot of, um, a lot of talent in your house, but she is on, um, um, one of the tracks that's, that that's, called Closer to Heaven, just an extraordinary track. And I know from just reading some things and, and you know, following you on Instagram that it was really uh, important for you to have her um, on that track specifically. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about why. Yeah, well, what's so funny is that I, in, initially, I was like, I don't want to have any guests on my records, you know, like, I, I was just like, maybe this would be good if it's just like a self-contained project and I don't have any mm-hmm. guests on the record. Um, and then with Closer to Heaven, um, the lyrics of that song were fleshed out by Scott from Dr. Dog. And then in passing, he made, he made a mention and he was like, you know, it would be, it would be pretty good. You know, it might be a pretty good idea to have Natalie sing the chorus on the song. And it really hadn't even crossed my mind because I was just like, well, you know, I don't want to like reel her into this project if I don't have to, you know, like, I, I also want to respect that, like, she has her own career and I have my own career, but, like, we do work together. But then when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, of course. Like, she has to sing on this song. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's smack dab in the middle of the record. Yep. It's, like, the se- in my mind, it's kind of, it's the centerpiece yeah. of the record. Yep. So it's, like, and it's a record about our, you know, our wedding and our mm-hmm. marriage. And, like, it, it, I would kind of be remiss if I didn't put her on the record in some capacity. And... I guess I, I'm just always kind of cautious about that stuff because, like, I don't ever want it to seem like nepotism or like, yep. "Hey, go, hey guys, like, check out this track <laughs> featuring my wife." You <laughs> yeah. know, like, I, you know, that can feel that can feel really cheesy to somebody who, uh, you know, on the outside, but on the inside, I'm like, "Oh man, this is this, this is works. so great." And yeah, and glad. she and you know she, she's also like shortcore style is a song about our relationship, and she was yep. very public about that. Oh, I, I didn't like, know that. Uh, oh, I was cool. like, "Oh, this is cute." This is cute. Like we're like returning favors to each yeah. other. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got... no favors. Favor is the wrong word. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's yeah. Just we're, we're we're speaking to each other. You know? <laughs> totally. I'm glad you get, um, stopped overthinking that and threw on. But it's, it's crazy the kind of the the sonics of the song. Like the her chorus is so different. Like your your part kind of to me. I get like 
kind of like John Vanderslice vibes or Death. I don't know. It's yeah. got this really unique sound, and then hers. Um, she comes in, and it's and it's all funky. It's I love the sonics and the changes and everything like that. But the video is really wild, um, <laughs> and that's got the red hues, and it's got all this imagery. And you know, I was yeah. wondering if you could speak on like crafting the video and some of the, what some of those uh, visuals stand for in the woods and and the tennis ball, <laughs> and it's all so cool. So. Well, you know, what's funny is that I, I knew that I wanted the video to be a three-act thing because the song is sort of in three acts. Yep. And I was like, well, I, I guess the cheapest and easiest way to do that is to use some kind of color filter. So we put red light bulbs all throughout our house, <laughs> and it, it looks like fucking poltergeist really here. Is. Like our neighbor... Our neighbors walked by the house and are like, "What kind of exorcism is happening over there right now?" <laughs> um, so that's not that's not at all like done in After Effects. Like we actually went out to Lowe's and bought red light bulbs, and then like, uh, Eric, the rest Eric of- and Natalie finally lost it. Exactly, <laughs> Eric and Natalie in hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought we, you know, one thing that I really wanted the video to have was a sort of playful quality. Like even mm-hmm. though it was sort of like you know murky and weird like i also wanted to be really funny and so we had natalie and i had just watched uh the new dark crystal on netflix yep. and we had like tore, tore through 10 10 hours of it mm-hmm. and we were like holy shit like dark crystal was amazing we should have puppets so in the video <laughs> and then i and, and then i started like reaching out to people around town if they had had puppets and people were like actually you know i don't really want to do a video with puppets i'm really protective of my puppets and i was like okay <laughs> so so, so I, I, I swear to God, yeah, yeah, I swear to God, two people said I'm really protective of my puppets, and I was like, okay, that's weird, but that's, I re- yeah, Natalie respects that. I do um, too. So, my, so da- my daughter was, just got a puppet. Actually, she's she wants to get into ventriloquism, so we're giving her a go. We, her name is Katie around here. So if you ever need it, Aww. I don't think she is protective of Katie. So we got you next time. That is. <laughs> Uh, uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so then I started poking around the internet, mm-hmm. and I was like, maybe there could be a mascot in the video because I'd kind of gotten obsessed with Japanese mascots via this Twitter account called Mondo Mascots. Uh-huh. Which, if you don't if you don't follow, it's a wonderful follow. It's like every day there's like, look at this weird radish mascot, or you know, like. So I there's I a radish a mascot. So what did you, wait? Can you say the name of the um the the what the Instagram was it Mondo? Mondo. Mondo, yeah, Mondo mascot. Okay, so, so you got one Instagram in there. And a Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So they, uh, so I was looking to see if Mondo mascots was actually like, you know, a, a factory in mm-hmm. Japan that man, that manufactured uh, mascots. But then I found one called GreatMascots.com that was a, a place in San Francisco that special special orders mascots from China and Japan. And I found this tennis ball that looked like kind of wistful with a tongue sticking out, and I was like. That's the one. Not only that, but because of COVID, like nobody needs mascots, so all the mascots are super on sale. So I was like, oh, I was like, oh man, this is like a deal steal. I'm getting like, and I, uh, it was funny because I ordered the mascot last minute, and I emailed the company, and I was like, hey, do you think you could get this to me ASAP? And they're like, we actually fabricate all of our mascots in one day. Don't worry, sir. Wow. Like they seemed like really, they seemed concerned that I was stressed out about it, and then. <laughs> When the mascot came in the mail, it was like a shoebox. It looked like it was so small. It's like, oh, uh-huh. crap. Like, there's, there's no way. It's, yeah, it's, anyone who hasn't seen the video, it's a big old tennis ball, yeah. I was like, there's no way that the whole mascot is in this tiny box. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like, I opened it, and then it just, like, kind of poofed out <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a ghost yep. being re- released from the box. 
And so what, what, what was that representing in the, um, um, in the video? Because, I mean, obviously, or not obviously, but what I'm taking from it is we're kind of dealing with um, a, a, a hell, a purgatory, yeah. heaven situation in the, in the three acts that you spoke of. Um, but, yeah, but, the, ten, the tennis ball kind of represents, in my mind, like fear or like uh, self-doubt. Okay. It's, like constant, it's like constantly taunting me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the end of the video, like Natalie and I are with the tennis ball and we're like celebrating in heaven. And uh, uh, so it's sort of like a way of accepting all that stuff and sure. kind of letting it go. Um, but I mean, it's also just funny as shit to have a mascot Absolutely. in your video that, <laughs> that, that, that looks like that. I mean, I, I'm, I might be overanalyzing that. No, but I don't think you are because I think there is um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of honesty and vulnerability in in the album and and you know it, the first song I believe is the first song you released when it comes uh, down to it, which is so so good. It's um, it Thanks. does it does speak about um, kind of you know a lot of having doubts about how complex of a human being you are. You're you're kind of wondering if you're you know not kind of more normal than you thought you were. Is that that's the case there, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think when it comes down to it, it's a song that's about understanding that like your needs are actually a lot more simpler than mm-hmm. you might be letting on. And if you're just direct about communicating that, then you'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, cause I think that like a lot of us live by the myth that like human was so complicated, was so mysterious. And it's like, it's not, it's like, yes, yes. We obviously we all contain multitudes, but like, I think that, it's also important to be like, I need to shower and have coffee mm. and I need, and I need hugs. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and L- it's losing it's losing some of that ego and kind of, you know, bring it down to basics can always be good as well. You know? yeah. yeah. I, I need hugs. That's I need it. Hugs. That's... I need hugs. More than ever. I'm, uh, stop I'm hungry. Stop I know. Uh, I'm hungry. That song, that song really is awesome. Um, I love, um, there's a bunch I love. I love I love children. It reminds me of like one of um Ween's song and like the white pe- pepper uh age. You know Wow. Yeah, it's got a, it's, it feels good. It's a feel good song. But also um I love Haunted, but I don't know what it's about. And I was curious if you could tell me what Haunted's about cuz I think it's my favorite song on the album. Oh, awesome. So Haunted actually started with with the lyric I'm still haunted and I yeah. was like I don't like that. I don't like this at all. Because I was just kind of like, that's not even true. Like, I was I was just trying to, I was, I had, like, these filler lyrics, but I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, haunted by the ghosts of my past. And I was like, actually, I'm not at all. And what what's more powerful is saying I'm not haunted. And also, that song is sort of a statement on, like, the myth that, like, an artist needs to be, like, constantly running from something or running from their past. And um, I make specific references in the verses to, like, you know, uh, people who I've idolized and, like, how I don't think that... I, th- I think that they could have had a longer career had they actually confronted, you know, uh, their demons. You know, I, I think about someone like Richard Swift, who is a close friend of mine, and um, he passed away in 2018. Yeah. And I was like, man, if, you know, if Swift had um, maybe addressed some of the things he was going through mm-hmm. earlier in a healthier way, he yeah. might still be around. And not only creating art, but creating better art than he could have ever sure. imagined. And so it breaks my heart a little bit when I see people mm-hmm. still, um, you know, subscribing to that uh, artist myth. Yeah, and I have so, a lot of writers I, in my life that I feel like hold on to a lot more pain or almost put themselves in situations that cause pain because they believe so much art comes from, from pain and torture. Yeah. 
Now, one, now one thing that I will say is that when I was like younger, I was I took I took a pretty hard stance on this, and I was like, artists should feel no pain whatsoever, you know. And, then, and I was like, I think I think suffering is bullshit. But then, as I get older, uh-huh. and I think I'm actually living a little bit more, um, what I think is truer is that um, the the human existence is is suffering. There's yeah. so much suffering that happens, and like in. I, think, in. Yep. I think I think I think I think you would be kind of an alien if you're like somebody that you really cared about passed away and you didn't feel anything yeah. like th- there's immense suffering that comes from grief mm-hmm. and so uh, and loss and so i think i was a little bit naive in thinking that like humans aren't affected by that on some level so my stance on it now is a little bit more like the buddhist way of looking at it where it's like life is suffering and it's about how you engage with that suffering. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, that's more what I'm trying to say in Haunted is that yep. you can you can engage with it in a way that is still healthier than maybe, you know, like drinking yourself into a stupor or like, you know, uh, hurting people. Yeah. So so that's, that was what that song was awesome. about. And I kind of play, I placed it on that record right before the wedding part of the record yep. because like I wanted it to be clear that like I can walk into this wedding with a clear mind and not be and and not be like to hold into the past in any way i like that i like that closing out a chapter yeah moving on um i love uh you mentioned richard swift i love uh, you have a great cover um it's on youtube oh yeah uh, dirty jim that's really one i saw katie jacoby's on there i just saw katie i just saw her on the street yesterday i didn't stop them to talk to him or bother him but her and scott metzger were walking down uh, walked right by me when i walked out the grocery store yesterday i was it's good to see. Oh man, it's good to see. Kid, I don't get to best. see them playing right now, but it's good to see them. Um, how was it working? You worked uh, with producer Jeremy Ferguson on this, who is fresh off winning a Grammy Award um, with uh, yeah. with Cage the Elephant um, for Social Cues. How was it working with Jeremy? Besides all the well, great candy he has, the first time yeah, he has amazing <laughs> candy. Uh, the first time I met Jeremy, I wasn't quite sure what to think of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, this guy seems very introverted and a very like, uh, protective, but like everyone is telling you that he's the best. And mm. so I, I just have to kind of follow that instinct. And I had tried working with a couple other producers. Actually, the, initially I wanted to work with Swift, uh, when I first started writing songs for the record. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to work with Jonathan Rado and we did some songs together that ended up being pretty cool. But then, um, my friend, Nick Bockrath, who plays in Cage the Elephant, uh, he was my old roommate and oh, he was oh. like, He's like, you need to book time at Battle Tapes with Jeremy Ferguson. Like, he kept kind of like hammering me about it, and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should. So when it came time to book uh, a session in Nashville, I was like, you know what? I'll try to book it with uh, Jeremy. And it was like, I mean, it was like hand in glove uh, chemistry. Like right off the bat, we understood each other, and um, I thought he had a great sense of humor. But I also thought he was really judicious when he needed to be, and um, if he felt like something wasn't working or if he felt like my vocal vocal take wasn't that great, he'd be like, you could do a better vocal. But he did it in a way that didn't feel like an attack. And I think he has that approach with everybody. He's very sensitive uh-huh. to everybody's needs. And um, I think that's the mark of somebody who is a great producer and a great engineer. And just sonically speaking, like the stuff that he's capable of on the fly is like super impressive to me. Um, he always has good ideas. He likes yeah. good music. He has good, he has good taste. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but he is so self-effacing, so self-deprecating. Like I congratulated him when he got the Grammy and, uh, he was like, I'm just embarrassed by this thing. <laughs> I, I think I, 
I should probably just keep it in the box, you know? I was like, no, man. I was like, you should, you know, just let it fly. And then we were like joking about pooping in it. I love that. Classic. Love that sort of humility. And just, uh, I don't know, that shows kind of the person he is. It sounds, it sounds like a perfect fit there. That's great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's got a great sense of humor. And again, yeah, amazing candy. Amazing yeah. candy bowls at his house. Snickers for days. Yeah, no, there's a lot of humor on the album. It's, it's funny at times, too. And I think that's because of who you are as well. Um, this, uh, while, while this album's fantastic, I, I do, I, I am a fan of, of, of your solo work the last few years. I mean, um, Palisades, which came out in 2017, is, is awesome. I, the song No has really been like, it's, it's, I think it might be one of my most uh, played songs during quarantine. I love that. But I find an EP that you released last year called Bullfighter to be absolutely fascinating. It's a, it's a song cycle about the first Jewish American matador, Sidney Franklin. Yeah. I, I have to, yeah. I know we're talking about Wiseacre, but I do want to ask about that. I was curious why. Why you wanted to tell that story? It's such a such a cool little project you embarked on there. Well, you know, it's funny because I started writing the string quartet material right after Palisades came out. So I just kind of I wrote it in a blitz, like in a week, and then I was like very impulsively, I'm just going to record the string section and then figure out what I'm singing about later. Mm-hmm. I had some ideas of what the melodies were, um, but I really wanted to just like do a string record and have that kind of be like the epilogue to Palisades. Um, So I started writing lyrics and uh, I started like seeing, like it was kind of cosmic. Like I'd be going to studios and I'd see like Matador paintings, like uh, those kind of old felt bullfighter paintings from the Mm fifties. And it was, they were just kind of popping up everywhere. Like I'd be at the thrift store, I'd be somewhere. And then I was like, also at a time in my life when um, I was sort of investigating my, family history and uh learning about like the jewish side of my family which i you know i i feel really connected to but i don't get to see them very much and i was like um i just typed jewish bullfighter into google Mm -hmm. and i was like bullfighter is a really strong title and i and then i was like oh my god there's the first american bullfighter was jewish and his story is fascinating so um, I had some kind of scribbled lyrics down, but then I started making them fit um, by, like, you know, doing deep research on Sidney Franklin. And it, it was just, like, Pandora's box. I mean, like, there's so much that they don't know about him because he was intensely private. But um, I also kind of found, like, some parallels between his life and my life and also the, the lives of a lot of other Jewish people where they feel, like, especially being American, they feel really disconnected from their roots and, like... Yeah. Jewish people often are like trying to fit in. They're trying to like, you know, we're, we're like trying to fit in and we're trying to be accepted. But like, you know, even to this day, there's so much anti-Semitism. So the the project yeah. was really a, 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 about self-acceptance and also understanding that like, uh, you know, to be Jewish is is beautiful and like there's some there's so much about it that's great and. Uh, you know, there's nothing to hide about it. Um, you, you, you can be an American and you can also be Jewish and you can also be a lot of things yeah. and it's all okay. It sounds, it's also, it's, you know, like this one, it's a, it's a personal album in a, in a different way. I like that you found the parallels between you and Sydney. It's, it's, it's such a, I don't know, I find that project so fascinating and it's a complex work of art too. The string quartets, the piano, the synthesizers, drums, vocals, the whole thing. But I would, uh, if anyone wants to check that out, I would start with Nothing Is Real. It's really song hey so i had uh billy martin on recently and i mentioned that to you and uh you yeah. mentioned he was your teacher at one point 
Yeah, I mean, so cool. I uh, so through Dave Drywitz, Dave Dave Drywitz uh, from Ween uh-huh. was always like, I'd always be like, yeah, I really want to strengthen this part of my playing, and Dave would be like, oh, you should go up to Boston and study with Kenwood Denard. He played with Jocko Pastoria, uh-huh. so I'd like, I'd go up to I'd go up to Boston and Whoa. study with Kenwood because of Dave. Uh, because of Dave's suggestion. And then at one point he was like, you know, you should uh, take a listen with Billy, like Billy's in Jersey. You could probably drive there and it'd be really, fun. I think it'd be really good for you. And I had been like, I had read so many articles with him over the years. I think one of the first issues of modern drummer that I ever had uh-huh. was uh, an interview with Billy Martin. And um, I just thought that we had a lot in common, uh, conceptually speaking as drummers. Like, I think we both come from a place where like, Drumming is, yes, about timekeeping, but it's also about, like, exploring and trying a bunch of stuff. And Billy is, like, one of the most experimental drummers I know. Um, oh, yeah. And, and without Billy, you don't get so many amazing drummers. So, like, and, of course, there's a whole lineage leading up to Billy. Sure. But I love studying with him because it was very, uh, it was very holistic. Um, it just felt like, uh, you know, it was like a safe place i remember we started one of our lessons by doing like a free form solo and then he kind of just like uh talked we just talked about it for a while it it was almost like it was almost like therapy or something whereas a lot of other lessons that you take are not necessarily so conceptual they might just be like your left hand looks bad like work on you know this exercise repetitively for three months and your left hand will be in a lot better shape yep you know, so, so it was, it, you need I, both. I think it's, you need both for growth. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's cool. I, 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 I'm not surprised he has that heady approach to, um, to the lessons and, and what you guys are doing there. That's so cool. Um, yep, yep. so what's up, uh, are you and Toby and Scott and, uh, the Dr. Dog crew up to, uh, anything or is that, um, is, is it in anyone is, or are people just kind of making music on their own and waiting this out a little bit, anything to speak on there at all? Or? Exactly. With Dr. Dog, you know, we're all just, um, at home kind of coping with the, the loss of touring this yeah. year. We, we had, we had a lot of shows booked big, and some big festivals of, and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to see you guys there a couple was, times. Yep. Oh man. I mean, there was so much exciting stuff on mm-hmm. the docket. I mean, there was outside lanes and, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. um, a, a lot of fun shows uh, that I was really, really looking forward to. So, um, next year. I, yeah, yeah, that's the hope. I mean, <laughs> I, I really, 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 really hope because this, this last week of recording was so beautiful mm-hmm. and I just, I just missed being in that creative space so much that it made me really like kind of second guess how many times I took it for granted. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, I think every musician at some point or another looks at each other on tour and they say, God, you know, it would be great to be home right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and now that I've been home <laughs> for an extended period of time, I'm like, yes, it's great to be home. <laughs> However, oh. playing, playing music for people is my, Magical. the reason yep. for my existence, yep. you know, like, and, um, without live music, I think the world is a much sadder and re- repressed place. I mean, I think about all the times you went to a, sh- think about all the times you went to the sh- a show and you had a transcendent experience yep. where like, the entire room lifted because of something that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt. That, it's, that's it's, what, I, it's like therapy for me. I go, to, I go to live music and that's where I can, you know, find my catharsis. It really is. And well, that's one of the things um, you just alluded to that I'm really hoping comes of this. Cause it's something good things have to come from this. I'm thinking, but like just not taking things like that for granted. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of us didn't anyways, but 
I mean, to a very heightened way. I mean, good, any of us, I can't even imagine how I'm going to feel like the first like real live show around people or and, and you playing. I can't even imagine how we're going to feel. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to keep thinking yep. about those positively. Um, after you uh, do the promotion for this album, can we get some more of those um, quarantine beats on, on Instagram? Those are awesome. Oh, <laughs> de- definitely. Um, you know, I, what's kind of funny is the quarantine beats were actually, and prior to the quarantine beats, I was doing, uh, you know, films from videos pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with the quarantine beats, it just became a process of making sure I could have a beat for every day of the week. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, um, but the reason that I started doing that this year is because I knew I had a solo album ready and I was like, you know, I need to start like, you know, it, I need to start posting more about oh, yeah. my musicianship. Got it. Because I post a lot of dumb shit and I post a lot of stuff that's like stupid and goofy. And I was like, it's time to actually like grow up a little bit and not be afraid to show that I can play drums. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason I did that was not only because I thought it would be a good idea in preparation for the solo record, but also just like, I think it was just time to accept that I, I can make drum videos and don't have to be ashamed of it. Yep. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> there's a lot of sh- there's a lot of shame with posting stuff sometimes about yourself, and um, uh, there's a lot of guilt that comes along with it, especially in the yep. face of oh, especially in the face of like everything that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. It can feel kind of it can feel selfish and, and trivial uh, sometimes too, compared to bigger picture stuff as well. Yeah. Oh my god, so trivial. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I uh, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not like, you know, I could be more of an activist today. <laughs> you yeah. know, like. But it's important well, we to also, recognize that. We do need joy, though. We do need things that make each other happy. And, you know, obviously we all, you know, many of us who I know you're committed to the causes that I am, like we, you know, we need to put in the work and everything. But we also do need these other things, too. We have to have it. Precisely. I yeah. mean, I don't think, I, I, I think it would be insane to, to uh, look at it any other way. I yeah. mean, you have to, you have to live with all of it, too. And you, your activism and all that stuff is, just a part of your daily practice exactly. and a, a part of a part of how you exist in the world. And if you are ha- having those difficult conversations with people and also making sure that you vote and do all the things, then like there's also, yes, there's definitely space for joy and there's mm-hmm. definitely space for creativity with all of that as well. No doubt. So well said. Um, I can't close this interview without asking how's Martin doing that cute little, Martin, uh, little alien puppy of yours. He's so, he's such a I know he is a little, is he okay? he's an alien. He's doing great. Okay. He, uh, yeah, he had some health got, issues. He got through his he got through his surgery. Yeah. Uh, he's a little lethargic at times, but I mean, otherwise, I mean, he's amazing and uh, full of love. That's so. awesome. Speaking of joy, right now, that's the that's, yeah. that's joy right there. That's awesome. Um, well, right now, right, on, now right now, he's. I said right now he's out, outside basking in the sunlight. So. <laughs> nice, nice. I love dogs yeah. soaking in the sun. It's such joy. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, Eric, I really appreciate you taking uh, time to discuss this. I love this album. It's uh, it's fun. It's funny. Yeah. It's thought provoking. It's it's weird. It's it's I mean, but it's also it's uh it's honest and vulnerable and it's um and yeah. funky. And it is uh you mentioned joy, it's full of joy mm-hmm. too. So I am uh I'm glad to know more about it and to spread the word and um I always enjoy talking to you. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you so much for uh interviewing me. It's super fun. One, two, to close this out, and since four, we spoke about it in the episode, here is Eric Slick's cover of Robert Swift's Dirty Jim. Thank you all for listening.
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.